A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode and a look back at Joss Whedon's iconic show. I'm MC, and I'm here with... This is Andy. And this is David. So today's episode is episode 11 of season 1, Out of Mind, Out of Sight, or as most people knew it when it first aired, The Invisible Girl. It aired May 19th, 1997. The story was by Joss Whedon, and the teleplay was by Ashley Gable and Thomas A. Swindon, and it was directed by Reza Bajiji, and I'm sorry if I butchered that name. Uh, so, yeah, this is um, the second to last episode of season one, and it's kind of an interesting one in that this is actually this is the first Cordelia centric episode, and it's actually one of the few that we have on Buffy. Uh, I have a list of all of the Cordelia centric episodes, and with the exception of some assembly required, where she's essentially just the uh, uh, damsel in distress, and the wish where she is uh, the catalyst for the entire plot every one she shares with another character so uh they kind of never really knew what to do with cordelia on buffy like as a singular character i don't think they really got their handle on that until they got her over onto angel yeah i i totally agree i would have always loved a little more cordelia in the world like more of her inner life what she does how she does it Mm. We get a few things thrown in throughout episodes that kind of show what her life is kind of like at home, but we don't actually ever get a full picture of her till she moves over to Angel, and sometimes on Angel she feels like a totally different character. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they had to rewrite her as instead of being a foil, she was the main female character on the show, so they softened her up a lot. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I think she never quite got past the, she never quite got past secondary character status here. I mean, not like, she wasn't low on the, to- like, low on the totem pole, but but she was not, she was just outside the main core cast. And she never, I think she never escaped that until she went to Angel and had a chance to rise into the, the full, you know, main cast situation. Yeah, I mean, the the secondary characters on Buffy tend to not get as much, obviously, as the core Scoobies and Giles do in terms of backstory. I'm trying to think of other episodes that really give you a picture into the secondary characters. And they usually get one. Like, Oz has phases um, and Tara has family. But other than that, you actually don't get... Oz actually has basically a trio of episodes mm-hmm. that kind of focus around him. It starts with phases, and then it's 
uh, All Men Are Beasts, or Beauty and the Beast. That is another episode that has like two titles on it. It's very confusing. And mm. then uh, Wild at Heart. And, and then you could also throw yeah. in New Moon Rising. But all of those episodes also relate, with the exception of uh, All Men Are Beasts, they all relate to his relationship with Willow. Beauty uh, and the Beast. And the I same thing happens is. with. I, I've, I've heard it as All Men Are Beasts and Beauty and the Beast. That's like this episode, one of those ones that has like two titles and they just always yeah. get uh, debated. Uh, but yeah, so Oz's character was always connected to Willow's. And I think the same thing happens with Cordelia, where you only see her kind of as Zan- Xander's girlfriend, or you see her as a foil to Buffy, because I actually think the episode where you get the most Cordelia characterization is in Homecoming. Yes. I would agree. I mean, this one has some really good Cordelia characterization in it. Um, and things I think people forget about Cordelia. Uh, you know, she comes off as this sort of ditzy popular girl, right? But we really get a lot of information on, like, she's a great student, right? She stays after class. She really is. That's actually... Yeah, she stays after class to ask a teacher for guidance. Mm. She's not dumb. Like, I know from my experience in high school, cheerleaders and football players had to, they didn't have to have great GPAs, but they had to have decent GPAs. Um, you know, so she's she's not as dist- ditzy and as she presents herself. She's actually a very motivated individual, which you can see she's motivated to go to college. She's motivated to get out of Sunnydale. She's just, she's like a very motivated person. And I think that doesn't always come off or fandom doesn't always sort of acknowledge that about Cordelia until she moves to Angel. Yeah, but she doesn't really have, I mean, those moments always seem isolated. It kind of goes along with uh, people thinking that Buffy's not as smart as um, the fandom thinks. Uh, the same thing happens with Cordelia, which kind of fits because they're very much kind of in the same mold. They're just going in different directions. But yeah, I mean, she does ask Miss um, Miller, I believe is the teacher's name. Yes. He asks her for help with her homework. And later on, we see she gets a great SIT score. She gets into some great colleges. She just can't go because her father is a criminal. Yeah, I always wondered how her life would have shook out without that. You know what I mean? Obviously, it had to happen because they had already planned on moving Charisma Carpenter to be the co-lead of Angel, you know, so that was sort of a decision of why she's not, you know, in college. But um, yeah, I mean, I think she is a foil for Buffy. She's sort of compare and contrast with, okay, this is who Buffy might have become if it were not for the Slayer. Mm hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, you see Cordelia over on Angel, where she, uh, when she eventually gets her own demon essence inside of her, she becomes more of a Buffy-like character. So there, there is very much this yeah. interesting parallel between Buffy and Cordelia. Yeah, I think it, it feels to me like they never quite human. There's a little bit of humanization here where she has the, the talk about how how, you know, I could be alone when I'm surrounded with people. But that's sort of undercut by um, Marcy later repeating that back to her while she's about to torture her. And it does come across as slightly, I don't know, maybe cliched is probably the wrong word, but uh, it's not as humanizing as, say, 
the the one the real humanizing moment for Cordelia where we really get uh get her like get a a feel for her and sympathy for her is is in Homecoming. Uh, but when uh, Cordelia is, Marcy is uh, parroting back uh, Cordelia's words to her. I thought that Marcy had actually overheard what Cordelia had said. Oh, I think she, I think so she too. Was to lay I think her so. And she heard it. Right, but I, it's also Marcy repeating it back to her, even though she, she overheard it. But she basically rejects that that uh, sort yeah. of, in some ways, facile uh, treatment of the of loneliness. Of course, Marcy's just fucking insane. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's another thing. I, so it's, it's hard to tell, but it is, it, that they include that particular bit in the episode seems to undercut it slightly for me. Yeah, I mean, the little we know about Cordelia, yeah, she's, can be kind of a, a monster. Uh, I do have a question about the character of Mitch, who we see both in this episode and in the next episode. And he is portrayed as Cordelia's uh, major boyfriend uh, in season one. And in season two, we'll get Devin and then we'll finally get Xander. But Mitch is it for season one. And I really get the impression with the way he talks about Cordelia is she likes him a lot more than he likes her. Because he's really fucking gross. Where it's just like, yeah, it's not. Oh, oh yeah, no, no, no. I, 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 yeah, I know. I noted. I was like, oh, thank you for pointing out that he's a total dick before beating him to almost to death with a bat. That's yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's not he's a terrible. very nice guy, and I think you know, in Cordelia, in this popular group's life, right? Um, and we see it from the Cordettes and Harmony, who is in this episode. Yay. It's all about status, right? It's all about the status. It's all about what looks best, what people, the outside view of who they're dating, what they're wearing, what they're going to do is all about. Mm -hmm. um, and I can see why Cordelia finds that a little bit lonely. Yeah. Probably because it seems like just a little bit we know about her parents. That's probably the way it is at home, too. So mm -hmm. I don't think she has an outlet for yeah. actually expressing... Um, who she is. I mean, it doesn't excuse it because, ooh, boo, poor little rich girl. Yeah. But it explains it a little bit. I, I don't think she probably gets um, the intimacy of having a really close relationship with anyone, probably including her parents. Well, in over on Angel, she legitimately seemed to believe that it goes home, hotel, hotel, mm -hmm. husband. So she kind of had no like compunction about the idea of marrying for money it was just you know somebody else is going to take which, care of her which seems and odd to me because she's a really good student that brags she gets into good colleges so i'm kind of not understand i mean it just seems like too i mean i guess she could be going for the old-fashioned mrs degree but i yeah. i don't know she seems like, like a pretty motivated person i've always I think well, I mean, we do, we do have to look at the career she tried to get into after the college right. didn't work out. Yeah. So, not that I'm trying to put down people who you know go to Hollywood to be mm -hmm. actors, but you know, people who go there to be right. stars—that's you know, and also, yeah, that's a, a different thing. I, I think there may be like an element of just sort of how she was raised and the 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 
the the oh what's the word? I'm I'm losing words the 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 culture she grew up in I wouldn't be surprised if for instance mm-hmm. her mother you know whether or not she married for money wound up staying with her father for money and and right, it's and we- just it's just mm-hmm. that's that's the the idea of that's just that's what you do and then you can yeah. do whatever while he's out doing whatever else Yep. Oh, no, no. I'm sure that is the expectation that she'll marry well. And I'm sure it's the expectation that she'll get good grades, too, because that's just part of it. But the the thing that strikes me that I guess I've never really thought about, which is odd, because I think about Buffy and Angel all the time, is that we never hear anything about her parents ever again. Yeah, I actually, that had just come to my mind. The only thing we know is that uh, Mr. Chase goes to probably a white collar prison for a tax evasion, but we don't hear anything about her mother. Now, I think they actually do say my parents went to jail for tax evasion. I'll have to check that when, yeah, but, mm. and, and, uh, yeah. Like, she never contacts her parents. I don't think she ever, like, she talks to Aura on the phone and you don't even hear a thing she says about her parents, which is so odd to me, because even if your parents have done some kind of tax evasion, you know, you would think you would still keep in touch or they would try to keep in touch with their daughter. Like on the other side, it's like, yeah, why I mean, do they ever, fu- they ever, do they ever find out that? Cordelia I don't know. Dies? Cause we, she, I think part of the, and it's not, I'm not going to say it's a retcon, but it's a reimagining of the Cordelia character when she does go over to Angel is, and I think we've said that this before, they, Hand wave her age away, because obviously Charisma Carpenter is like 30. Yeah. And I think they kind of... Vaguely mid-20s. Right, they put her in her, you know, so you don't have to worry about her carded for getting carded in a bar or, like, whatever. But I... Th- Which makes the Connor thing all the grosser. Right? Um, I've, ne- I know, I've never I've probably won't either. But yeah, you never hear... So it's kind of like they retconned her parents out of existence with a hand wave, you know, and then made... Since Joss yeah. is all about fa- found families, you know, sh- that's her family now. So, Right. Yeah. You know, so, I, I, think, yeah. I think this is... I think in Buffy... Uh, I don't, I'm not so sure about Angel, but it's like, unless parents are directly plot relevant, we simply don't hear about them. That's true. Because I was I I was thinking for the like, most we hear part, nothing yeah. about Marcy's parents. She's a missing girl, and we we've heard nothing. I mean, like I assume they're the ones who reported her missing, but we're not told that, mm-hmm. and we're not we hear nothing. She's like living in this crawl space, and like yeah. So I I, I I would assume they probably ignore her as much as anyone else because. Otherwise, I can't see the whole pseudo physical mm. uh, uh, physics mystical thing working out. I think she has to be completely, mm. completely isolated, which is something that I totally have a problem with in this episode. I mean, not the whole um, pseudoscience of it. I actually think that's really cool. But just the idea that she has absolutely no one who pays attention to her, especially because she's portrayed as being a really good a good flute player yeah. and she's in the band and do you know what she she would have fucking friends because do you know what i was a really good flute player in the band and you know what you find your tribe right you do yeah you're, if, a band yeah, you're in the yeah at least someone would have been like pass me the sheet music <laughs> yeah yeah right. it, it, so. it it is 
it is a little it's a little contrived and forced. Of course, I mean, like this entire episode is about alienation, and we even see that with Buffy at the beginning of this episode when uh, Xander and Willow are making fun of the whole May Queen thing because they have all of their little in-jokes because they've known each other since they were Mm -hmm. toddlers. And Buffy has only just come into this now. And she doesn't understand when they're getting all excited and, you know, speaking in, you know, shorthand. But not only that, but they're making fun of something that used to be very important to Buffy. they really do. Um, You know, Buffy... uh, uh, you know, the movie is, like, half canon. It's, like, canon adjacent. So, like, we see what she's been like before. Um, and, yeah, yeah, she was really... And and the big shift. Like, that is a pretty instantaneous shift from where she was to where she is. Because at this point, she's only been you know, out of L.A. and moved here for, you know, a semester. You know, just thinking about it, this and Homecoming make a really good mm-hmm. kind of double feature because they're both very Buffy and Cordelia centric and they both uh, are very focused on this, you know, crowning event of, you know, high schoolness. And I, I think it's in- too interesting looking at the two different sides fit where um, they're, they're both, we're, in this, uh, Buffy is still very excited. You know, she she's still kind of longing for the idea of the May Queen, and in that, she actually is kind of pursuing the whole mm-hmm. homecoming queen role. And of course, Cordelia is the same in both of them. But in this, she doesn't learn her lesson, and in that one, she just kind of you know throws her hands up at the whole idea of all of it because you know I really I really like homecoming, um, and I and, and it homecoming really, really good. And if you do that as a double feature, you can probably really see kind of where, you know, Cordy's development and growth. Because there is growth. There's, there is yeah. definitely growth. Yeah. Um, you know, throughout the series and who she is here and who she's going to be in Homecoming, which is almost one of the last episodes yeah. of... Oh, it's not. I'm sorry. It's the beginning. I was thinking about the prom. You know, to season three. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in season three, they had to cram in every single uh, high school thing that they right, had which quite yet me, done. Like, do these writers even understand high school? Like the May Queen, they're like sophomores. Is this like a special dance for underclassmen? I don't. I don't know. Yeah. See, I, I, I have, n- I, I, I have know. no idea what the whole May Queen thing is about. I don't either. I think they made it up. Oh no! It. I mean, it's a thing. I mean, I'm certainly yeah. familiar with the phrase the May Queen, but I, hmm. I mean. I always thought it was some kind of thing people did in I don't know the Midwest. I I, I honestly I mean I'm, my my New York centric uh, prejudices are showing I suppose, but it's like we didn't have anything even resembling that. And I was wondering yeah. is like is it a school thing or is it a not school thing? But it does. That's uh, what it, I. That's why bronze, I was wondering. So I, it's at the bronze because they didn't want to have to build another set. Well, yes. <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, also, one of my notes later on is actually the establishing shot yes. for when they show the bronze is actually just mm. reused yes. from Angel because it says close for navigation yes. on yeah. it. I mean, they use the bronze for all kinds of school activities, including, we'll see, is it next season? Right. Yeah, the, the international 
weird thing. Yeah, it, which is oh yeah, the, which the is exchange the bronze. Yeah. Just, I think they just ran out. I think Sunnydale High is like, ah, oh, we'll just rent out the bronze. Yeah. I think it, it, it's just super shocking that the prom does not take place there. I mean, that's it's less surprising. Oh, which is weird because yeah, our prom never took place on campus. That was always at some fancy schmancy place. So, right. Like the Natural yeah. History Museum, best prom ever. Just personal note, great prom. Uh, and if you have Buffy at your school, the last thing you want to do is have a dance in the gym. Yeah. yeah. Because she's going to burn it down. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so interesting event. I think this is actually probably a landmark event in this episode. And that's when Buffy thinks that something is wrong. Willow and Xander immediately try to help I know. her doing things. Finally, they're like, oh, maybe she does know some shit. Mm, yeah. Oh, I, I also want to note, Willow is wearing a Scooby-Doo shirt in this episode. Yes, she is. Yeah, it's, yes. it's great. I, I'm always like, oh, this shirt. Because have they called them the Scoobies yet? They have not called they them the Scoobies yet. They have not called yet. them the Scoobies yet. The Scoobies, they get called that, I think, for the first time in What's My I Line you're right. One. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. It's not until after Cordelia is part of the group because it's Xander mm. talking to Cordelia about, you know, if you want to be part of the Scooby gang. Yeah. No, they're, so they're not the Scoobies yeah. yet, but, but it, I, it's I'm like just... foreshadowing, right? It's like deep, yeah. deep, intense well, foreshadowing. I think that after, I think after the shirt was worn, they might have adopted mm. it in the fandom and then the writers put it in. I can't remember. I don't know exactly how everything went down, but I do know that Buffy was one of the first shows where you did have that interaction between the oh, fans that was a and huge the writers. Thing. And I don't think I was, I was already sort of the observer, but I was on the posting board all the time. And that, that didn't oh, really yeah. start becoming popular the too. until season two ish. So I don't know. I mean, it was yeah. there and people were posting, but I wasn't there because the only, you know, the computer center at college was where I was going to use a computer. And primarily that was for checking your email and typing a paper. So there wasn't, you know. <laughs> okay. This is. And we digress. This is a little. Yeah, well, this is this is going to be quite the digression, but I need to mention this anyways. I was editing um, the pack episode yesterday. <laughs> And when I got to the end of it, I remembered that somebody had done up a website called Stuff Me, Shoot Me, Mount Me. And so I looked oh, it yeah. up online and I found it. And it's a Giles and Xander Yes, that is exactly oh, what dear. that is. There used to be, there used to be this hub. It's really. Okay, I have to go look that up. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's like, um, it's archived because right. it was on GeoCities. And of course, like somebody archived GeoCities. Yeah. So it's still up. The pictures are gone. But right, there used to be like a giant hub for the fan fiction. It's it's before like archive of our own or really fan fiction was really yeah back when right. it was all web, rings. web rings. Yeah, it was a web ring, and there was like the Slayer at fan fiction web ring, and you could go to each individual pairing and see. But oh, Xander Giles, I can't. I'm sorry, no TP. I, I can't get behind that. I, I can't. Get yeah, behind that. yeah, no, no. Um, I think I had some friends that shipped it. Yeah, that's why but, I knew about yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. So. Yeah. Great digression. And as we get further along in these episodes and sort of where our journeys of Buffy were, um, I think probably MC and I will end up talking a little bit about sort of the the web culture that sprung up around Buffy, Mm -hmm. how it was like a one of the 
first instances that people were really interacting with writers. And it was one of the only shows I can think of at that point where the writers became rock stars. Like you were like, oh, this is Jane Espenson. Oh, yeah. Which still happens. It's like, oh, let's see who wrote this episode. The writers really became sort of these rock stars, which I think they sort of still are. I look at TV shows and say, oh, who wrote that? Okay, well, that makes it, it's going to be a good episode. It wasn't just as creator driven. So, yeah. Yeah. So, under Greg Gresham, but into the history of Buffy fandom. Yeah, well, I mean, it was around this time that I really started to look on the internet for Buffy stuff, and it was at this time that stuff started to pop up on the internet about Buffy, like, because for uh, the first half of the season, it would be like, oh, this show is kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. interesting. But then I think it was around the time of I, Robot, You, Jane, you finally started to get people... I mean, maybe it was because that was the episode after Angel. Right. So, that makes sense. Uh, people were really kind of uh, getting attached to it. But yeah, so I was really starting to get into the fandom at this point. Um, but just back onto this episode, um, since we love yes. bashing on Xander Harris, why the fuck does every single, in any media, whenever there is the, an instance of an invisible person, there will be some jackass high school boy who's just like, I have to, you know, do something with the girls' uh, locker room. It's a trope. It's a trope. It's a, it's a it bad trope, really bad. but it's, it's trope. a trope. And they said, oh, well, that's... We're just yeah, going to lean it was, right it's into It's the it. obvious thing. Um, and yeah. Xander, poor yeah. Xander. I, I, I do want to give him one one bit of credit for this episode. The, the joke about the vampire bat is actually not a bad joke. Oh my joke. god, that's in my notes. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was like, that is. Yeah, I have that too. It's such a it's dad a good joke. It's bad joke, but it's good. It really, oh, it's, it's a, like. No, no, not bad joke. Dad joke. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is very dad joke. And I actually really appreciate a good dad joke. Like, absolutely. Yeah. They're one of my favorite forms of ridiculousness and. Xander, yeah, just the delivery was great, and sort of his reaction to like, ha ha ha. Well, that's look the, at thing, me. the thing about bad jokes yeah. is the the best kind of bad joke is when you're like, you come up with this joke, and it's like afterwards you go, oh my god, that's so obvious, but no one thought of it. Nobody thought of it. And yeah, no, like, I, yeah. I. And big props to both Willow and Xander for their quick on their feet, uh, thinking to get oh, yes. Snyder. Uh, distracted yes. so that Buffy could oh, yes. again. Yeah, for sure. And Snyder, um, bringing the Snyder with, you know, there are no dead students here oh. this week. He always yeah, brings but the th- Snyder. There are no dead students here this week is is just perfect this Snyder. Week, yeah. Oh, yeah. I Amron mean, Shimmerman is yeah. just, I just, I adore him. Yes. And his, just, Principal Snyder is, I don't know, maybe he's like my favorite minor character. One yeah. that, a non Scooby, my favorite non Scooby or Scooby adjacent yeah. character. He's really just up there. Yeah, um, I can definitely yeah, see that. I think yeah. he's wonderful. Him and Clem are sort of my two favorite. Oh, Clem. Two Clem. favorite kind of like minor characters that you know just sort of show up here and there for different reasons, obviously, because Clem's just a pile of cuteness, and Principal Snyder is a Ferengi, so you know there's that. Yeah. <laughs> so. So I made a pretty big observation while watching this. And let me know what you all think. Yes. So, okay. So we know that Willow and Xander have been friends forever. But where are their other friends? Like, I get that Jesse was their other friend. 
And we get that information about Xander. And I'm not doubting that Jesse was also friends with Willow. But we have no information about who Willow really is at this point. Like, I, 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 I'm I, sure yeah. Xander really accepts having a best friend that's a girl. But I can't see him and Jesse always inviting Willow along and having that, especially since Jesse's gross, right? And then, yeah, yeah. We, we don't have any, why isn't Willow Marcy and why isn't the thematic structure of this episode more about how Willow feels about also being ignored. I, I think it's a, like a really missed opportunity well, yes. to give us more information. Yeah. Like we don't see Willow ever having a single other friend that is not, I mean, she's nice to people. Well, currently, currently she used to be friends with Amy. That is true. Good point. I do, I do think that Willow and Marcy should have hung out because I heard this one yes. time at band camp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, Willow, I mean, we know she was yeah. friends with Amy back when Amy was, you know, well, let's just right. yeah. that. <laughs> as, as Willow pointed out yes, to you've us. lost so much weight. Um, and pot, yeah, possibly now that Amy has lost all of this weight um, that she has started to hang out with a different crowd. And we do find out in season two, she has gotten into not only magic, but in into dark magic. Uh, so that can be part of the disconnect between Willow and Amy. Actually, it's kind of, kind of weird that when Amy started getting into magic and maybe, I mean, I assume she didn't go right into dark magic, um, that Willow and Amy didn't have any bonding over that yeah well i think that was before was willow okay. had gotten into magic willow doesn't get into magic until becoming part two and i actually still have issues with the fact that um it, it didn't turn out that willow was possessed by some romani <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that, and that yeah. caused all of willow's powers yes. but we'll i mean i just i find later. it really um Again, at this point, and we are at episode 11 of the first season, for me, yeah, that we for know me nothing at about this Willow. point, watching this again with an analytic eye, I just, I don't know who Willow is at all. Yeah. I, I She's a hacker. She's got good grades. She loves Xander. Yeah. Like, I don't, and I think probably the first time through and the first, I don't know, 15 times through, because God knows how long many I've. Many times I've watched these episodes. But I think the my liking of Willow is pretty much all dependent on Allie Hannigan's portrayal. Yeah. I think a lot of Willow, because I mean, Willow was an incredibly popular, really popular character. And I think a lot of it was, it was Allie Hannigan's portrayal of her. And then I think there was... Um, she was kind of a blank slate. I mean, we knew that she was a shy and mousy... Um, hacker, which a lot of the people who liked Willow could identify with. Now, I'm not saying that everybody was like inserting themselves mm -hmm. onto the Willow character, but I, I mean, I'm saying this as somebody who did that themselves. Looking back at Willow, it's like, yeah, do you know what? I think I was over identifying mm -hmm. and putting my own traits onto Willow, which might be part of the reason why I rebelled so much against Willow eventually when she did to start, start to develop her own traits and they were quite contrary to things that I would do such as, you know, abusing mm. my fucking girlfriend. Right, I mean, I, the the other thing is that 
like we're being told that Willow is shy and mousy. It's one of those, you know, show don't tell writing tips that you always get. We're yeah. being told that Willow is mousy and unassuming, but I don't see that actually, except in the very first yeah. episode. After right. that first episode, she's just like, ah, Cordelia's horrible. Oh, this happened. Like, I don't see the lack of confidence yeah. in Willow, except for that we're being told she has no confidence. So, yeah, I think so. I just, yeah. the, the Willow's characterization is a running problem for this season. And we've, we've talked about this several yeah. times now. And I think they just really didn't, I don't know why, but they didn't seem to know how to make her more than just a some a bit more than a plot device. I mean, she I mean she has character, mm -hmm. and maybe that's down to Ali Hannigan, but um, but really they don't do much with her. There really isn't. There's no 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 real development at all. I mean, I mean, there's I Robot Eugene where we get some. You know, it, the episode kind of focuses on her, so we get something there. But overall, it's not it. There's no real anything there. Yeah, really thinking about the Willow character, I think the first episode where you really kind of get an idea of Willow as a person is actually Halloween, hmm. Hmm. because. Everybody else is not right. themselves, so Willow's got right. to take control That's of possible. things. Right. So. I mean, she shows her bossy boots because Willow does wear the bossy boots pretty often. She can't, which she is does. fine. Yeah. I, I'm not, you know. Again, I don't want to shame girls for being bossy. That was a whole thing with Beyonce, right? Um, but no, I think yeah. that's fine. She's She is kind of a take charge person, which is the opposite of what we're being told. And I didn't notice this Willow stuff until this, this watch through, till we really... Yeah. I, I, and it, I guess it probably, my opinion of Willow soured, I think like a lot of people's, people did, you know, later on in the seasons. And I've come to really like dislike Willow and I kind of maybe dislike her from the beginning this time. Hmm. Not yeah. because I know what comes after because she's underwritten. I just... Yeah. Never knew there was this big of a flaw in this show I love so much, but there is. I'm I'm curious if the reason is yeah. maybe I mean you've got this ensemble cast and you have to write stuff for everybody. And I I'm just wondering if they hadn't quite gotten the the hang of that yet for this this group. And that at that and that Willow, I mean you've got obviously Angel um uh Buffy and Giles can't really be underwritten. You you have to write them, and Xander's yeah. the funny one. So, well, I don't even think I'd said that he's the funny one. I think that he's well, that uh, too. But he's also the funny one. So he is really so funny. He gets yeah. he gets the bulk yeah, of the funny lines. So Willow guy, at really this does. point gets to be the one who's like, well, we she doesn't have a she doesn't Exposition have a, a full character yet. So she's the one who, by default, is the one who gets shortchanged. In the ensemble. Yeah. She, yeah, I think right now she's exposition girl, and the thing is... Um, and also hacker hacker uh, plot device. Not as much... Ex yeah, and, and there's not as much exposition, and uh, 
uh, in the first season. It's not until we get into season two that that becomes right. more of a thing. Yeah, I mean, Giles pretty much gives all the exposition at this point because he's the expert in, yeah. hey, here's a book. I'm going to tell you why this is bad in the demon because of book. You know, and Willow hasn't started becoming one with book quite yet. Yeah. Uh, so this episode, the first time since the... Uh, the harvest. We get yes. to see I know, harmony I again. Put that it was my very first note. Yes. It just says harmony with a giant exclamation point. It's harmony. Yay, Yay. harmony. And she's getting pushed yes, down the stairs. Yes, that is true. She is getting pushed down the stairs. Um, yeah, I, I just always love seeing harmony. Like, it's, I don't know, it gives me joy now because my opinion of harmony now is, of course, colored by. Like where she goes, yes. everything, everything that happens. That happens I'm like, yay, yeah. Mercedes McNabb. Like, I just find her. I really wish she was working more. So I just, I adored her mm-hmm. as an actress, yeah. and I don't, I don't see her in much stuff anymore. Mm. I, I think she made the mistake of turning thirty. I, unfortunately, a lot of actresses, yeah, uh, for, except for Bianca Lawson, who's like fifty-two. And is still playing oh a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> she's not 52, yeah. but I would say she's around my age, I'm going to assume. She's yeah, in her she's 40s in her 40s and she's I still think. playing. I think yeah. they got her paying 25-year-olds now instead of 15-year-olds now. Yeah. So I don't, what her secret is, I don't know. I think it's black arts. I actually had I'd seen, I had read an interview with her recently. It was either her or Gabrielle Union, who also played, you know, like, teenagers yeah. for like ever and i think it's just you know good you know living yeah absolutely yeah absolutely yeah, um, they're both absolutely gorgeous women so you know yeah she uh bianca lawson okay close yeah so. it's close so she's like in between you and i yeah um but yes so uh mercedes mcnab is back and also i mean like not only am i glad to see um harmony I love being able to see more of Torrance High School. That's a really, it really nice is. fucking high school. It really is. Um, and it, you know, it's been yeah. used in everything. Oh, well, it doesn't get used anymore. It, well, I think they finally yeah. said, that's enough. I'm done. Forget it. Go away. Yeah. it was. What happened is uh, after uh, they filmed Graduation Day Part 2, uh, and they had a big, ex- the, the big explosion in it. Then the the city of Torrance was just like, no, no more filming. Hmm. I mean, what, what hasn't been used in any other show since then? Not since okay. then, no. I mean, maybe they lightened maybe. up, but because yeah. I mean that was like twenty years ago. But right, because it was she's yeah, all that, uh, and uh, no, they she's all that during Sarah Buffy Michelle Geller makes a little uh, cameo in that. They did a cameo, and I think it was also nine hundred two and zero, the original nine hundred two and zero. Yes, and I think I that was filmed there. Yeah, and they also did not another teen movie there because because that was obviously a parody of some of those. Like she is all that, but yeah. they do. I just looked it up. Um, most recently, it was used in the Secret Life of the American Teenager, so they must have must have backed wow. off on that. But it's been a you know the the credits had been okay. You know, sort of few and far between. Yeah, maybe they just forbade Buffy. Right, probably Buffy. Right, because it's like, um, okay, um, stop blowing up our crap. So in this episode, uh, Buffy and the gang end up looking up uh, missing and dead Mm -hmm. kids so that they can compile a list. 
And Marcy is the most recent one at six months ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I could have accepted, like, she was the last miss, like, unexplained mm-hmm. missing kid. But she's not the last no. dead kid. Come on, there there is a gang of <laughs> vampires that are living below the city that are trying to, you know, take over yeah. everything. There's going to be more dead people. I think that's all, you know, them not thinking things out because later on they do kind of pepper in more about the disappearances right. and everything. Um, but... Yeah, that really stood out to me of just like, oh, somebody was not yeah. thinking. No, yeah, sometimes you're like, uh. Again, I've said this before. I don't think they had a show Bible for this. You know, I don't think they had a continuity yeah, Bible that, you know, which is, you know, sometimes I kind of love the inconsistencies of the world. And sometimes it drives me crazy. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, I got no explanation for that. So. I bet you probably around maybe the end of season two, beginning of season three, like the writer sat down with like a couple bottles of wine and be like, okay, let's mm. sort yeah, this I don't shit think out. They f- I think it was several bottles of wine because they didn't sort everything out. No. But, um, but I think here <laughs> yeah. they're really just flying by the seat of their pants. They really are. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, definitely. Season one. Um, um, and hey, we see Xander with his skateboard again. And this might be one of the last times they, they have him. Xander he's carrying it. Skateboard. He's carrying he it. He is so carrying like, like, it. Yeah. I think they said after having to rig everything for Nikki to ride it, it was like, no, we're never having him ride it again. Yep. Yeah, well, we saw him ride that's it in the first it. episode. So him carrying, yeah, carrying it and around. And then we see yeah. him carry it. Yeah. yeah. But I think he retires it after this one. And um, I am not a Willow and Xander shipper, obviously, because I hate Xander. But she has a very cute smile on her face when Xander has the information about the cloaks of mm-hmm. the Greek gods. And he's like, reach it, boy, come with the knowledge. And I she, think she, she's, I think she's so proud of him. And smitten. Because this is, yeah, you know, is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm not a Willow and Xander shipper at all, and I don't mm-hmm. think I ever was. Yeah. I don't think that was anything. I didn't become a shipper of anything on this show until Spike shows up. <laughs> Seth Green came onto the show? Uh, Spike. When Spike shows up, yeah. Okay. Well, that's the episode. That before. is the episode before, and then I absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Willow and Oz, but I didn't seek out like extra things about them because they were kind of canon. Um, and until season yeah. six, that you know, the whole Buffy and you know, I, I you know, I cried when she had to do what she had to do with Angel. Like I, I fully bought into it in the moment, which is I think what we do when we watch television. I had no. Like, oh, my, yeah, my shit that I love is not, be- I don't care. Like, show me what's on TV. Make me feel something in the moment. And if I want to do something else, something else with it, I'll go find it. Like, I don't need to, you know, sort of mm-hmm. do the thing. So, but yeah. This is another episode where we get a little bit of uh, a look at Xander's family mm-hmm. dynamic with Willow wondering if they even oven. own a stove. I'm pretty sure it was an oven. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Close well, enough. And I mean, I know, like, a home-cooked meal is not necessarily, like, the, the mm. sign of a good home life, but, I mean, it is pretty good shorthand for this Neglectful. Yeah. yeah. I think... I mean, especially considering she's known this family 
since yeah. they were kids. And she, and it does not sound like she's no. really no, joking. No, it doesn't sound like she's joking. And I think she probably really tries to... I don't know. I, I'm sure Xander went over to Willow's and to Jesse's for dinner a lot. Is what I, mm-hmm. I kind yeah. of... Even though, like, Willow's parents are, like, emotionally neglectful, I'm sure there was always food in the house. And... You know, I suspect they started making Willow make her own full food so she could be an independent young woman. Pretty, but I'm pretty sure they had family dinners. I'm sure there was food on the table. I, I'm pretty sure the Rosenbergs probably had like a oh, chore wheel. Sure. Oh yeah, where yeah. It's like yeah, everybody has. And to also, take they're turns Jewish. They would not have not fed her. Oh yeah, absolutely, That's, absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, but yeah, yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure Xander went to Jesse's probably a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Yeah. Um, but he did invite her over, and she said, sure. So, okay. yeah. um, And just while I'm on the yeah. Jewish thing, I, I want to bring this up because this is starting to annoy me. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, we've had these things where people say things about Nazis in front of Willow and, mm-hmm. like, all kinds of stuff that, like, you would not generally say in front of a Jewish person if you were at all thinking. And granted, in this case, it's Cordelia, mm-hmm. so clearly mm-hmm. she's not thinking, but... Cordelia's analysis of Shylock it's is pretty gross. It's pretty horrible. And and you know, if they had left it at Miss Miller going, that's very interesting, Cordelia, thank you for your input, that would be fine. But then they go to, and maybe mm-hmm. she's referring to her general contributions in class, but to have that immediately followed by her saying, Thank you, know, Cordelia, you've been really contributing in class. I'm glad to see you're doing the work and you're really contributing. And I'm just like, really? Really? <laughs> I mean, is am I being oversensitive here, or or is this, or is that just like really, like odd for a teacher to say? No, I mean, Miss Miller was really fucking weird with Cordelia. Like, I mean, I'm glad she's encouraging yes, Cordelia, but that was, but, but it, it just it seemed and weird. Again, like Cordelia like, sitting literally in front of Willow when she does this. So they keep inserting mm-hmm. Willow into these situations where these horrible things are being said. Yeah, yeah my note was like, uh, yeah, so uh, also telling a Jew that a Jewish character is a whiner is pretty insensitive. That was my right. Well, yeah. Note. Yeah. Now I'm trying to remember. Was that scene part of a flashback or was that no, like that, that was modern, modern day. day? Because then Miss, uh, what's her okay. name, gets. Uh, yeah. Beaten up by Marcy. Okay. No, that's, that's, uh, the bag, yeah, the bag over the head. Yeah. That was present time. Yeah. Okay, I was trying to remember because, I mean, like, if it had been a flashback, then I could have maybe, like, discounted stuff from it as, you know, nope. Marcy, like, like the colored lens no. of, but if it's the real day, then that, then Miss Miller's yeah. just a fucking shitty teacher. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. She, and Cordelia is I mean, a and, bitch. you know, Cordelia does say some pretty funny things in class because there's that whole thing can't remember the episode where she talks about like Marie Antoinette. <laughs> yes, yeah. Antoinette. Uh, we'll get there when we get there. But like Cordy says some pretty wacky stuff. But yeah, I mean, the teachers at Sunnydale tend to be like, okay, Cordelia, ha ha ha, and just move on instead of addressing the like, right. What, you know. I, I think, I think the reason yeah. I, I was particularly put off by this is that. At first, they have the line where she says, thank you for your contribution, Cordelia. So that could be seen as just doing ha-ha Cordelia, brushing her off. Brushing but her off, But then they yeah. follow almost immediately with her, like, seriously congratulating, Cord- congratulating Cordelia on her contributions. And it's like, what? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, like, Miss Miller is just really bad. Because, I mean, like, uh, in the later on conversation, I mean, she's not even taught them the difference between protagonist, antagonist, and anti-hero. Mm. I mean, that was shit that I learned in fucking fourth grade. And right. then you have these kids who are just like, can't he be both right. the protagonist and the antagonist? It's that's like, that's the one that's in already. flashback. And especially with Xander there. I mean, you'd think he'd know about it because he reads fucking comic books all the time. I'm sorry. Rant no, no, you're 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 not wrong. See, see, you rant about Jewish yeah. things. Oh, I, rant I will. I, I rant oh, about. I will rant about comic book things too if I get the chance. Trust me. Yeah, I probably will too because I think we do have that in common. Yes, is the comic book element. Yeah. Um, um, I would like to know why the fuck Cordelia is being fitted at school. I don't know. I mean, I know it's very convenient for the plot, but. Convenient for the plot's not a fucking. It's really not for the yeah. fact that they have set up. They have set up this whole classroom to be a fitting room for Cordelia, and she's not even been crowned. Maybe oh, but she yet. will be. Everybody knows it. Yeah, yeah. I again. Sometimes their logic, the writers, Joss, like. You're like, guys, do you know, like, I get that the first season you had to minimize your locations. So you've got Buffy's house, you've got that one high, the library and that one hallway they just reshoot from different angles. Um, And the bronze, you know, that you don't have a lot of. Yeah. I mean, they didn't even have their own graveyard at that point. They were still shooting. But it's at least. You know, it, it's almost like Doctor Who, where it's like, we've got Dark Corridor yes. and we've got Quarry. Speaking of Doctor Who, and this is a slight digression, but if any of you guys watch the Doctor Who spinoff, Class. I have not watched Class yet. That just de- debuted on BBC America. Oh, y- you mean Buffy with But they made uh, reference aliens? to it. There was this like, amazing reference. Yeah, I don't. I don't care if they're making references to it. It's still just It Buffy is Buffy with, with aliens. aliens, but they, you know, I would... I turned to my fiance Dale and said, oh, so basically it's a Hellmouth. And then like not a minute later, the kids in the show are like, yeah, it's kind of like a Hellmouth. Yeah, no, I'm not. A, I only I'm not watched a the first episode, but they did actually make the reference. Oh, so you mean it's like a Hellmouth as way of sort of explaining it or like that town in Vampire Diaries or whatever. Yeah. I just I just I thought it was funny that there was like a callback to Buffy the Vampire Slayer on this sort of spinoff. Yeah, no, I. I think for the Veronica Mars movie reference yeah. was the best one. Where, yeah. But, okay, so I would like to talk about Angel and Giles. Yes. Oh, me too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm kind of sorry that Giles and Angel didn't meet when he is, like, Angel on his own show, Angel. Mm-hmm. Mm. Because they would have been, like, besties. Uh, I mean, like, this, there's, uh, the circumstances, like, with Buffy, you know, like, being Angel's, like, forbidden love thing, and Mm -hmm. Giles being her, basically, father figure, um, and then the whole, you know, murdered girlfriend thing. Right, Uh, there's that. They weren't really able to, you you know, get the friendship going, but if, like, we had had, like, Angel on Angel the series is such a fucking old man. (laughs) (laughs) He's an old man and he gets along with older guys and he likes reading and doing all this goofy stuff. And I really feel like he and Giles would have just bonded. 
I do too. I, yeah, I, I noted that. It, I was like, wow, that they get along surprisingly well. They have some nice banter. They kind of, you know, yeah, they, they have stuff in common. Yeah. Um, yes, I can totally see it. And <laughs> even in the Buffy universe, before he moves to yeah. Angel, he's always sitting in that, like, mansion reading, you know, yeah. reading something mm-hmm. and doing, you know, so... Yeah, I, I can definitely see kind of the lost potential there, too. But Isn't it a shame that you know, Angel had to kill Jenny on many levels? Right. There are many shames. Like, ah, uh, Giles, just get over it. I mean, come on. It was just the one girlfriend the one time. <laughs> yeah. Like, pfft, why can't you just be friends? Just put a dead woman in your bed, you know? Yeah, just that one you time, there, MC. Just that one time. I don't know why he's yeah. making such a big deal out of it. Uh- yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it's but uh, I, and this is a nice scene between Giles and Angel. No, it's a very nice scene. And it really it's, is. Uh, it's a nice character scene, and it's a nice building up scene to the next episode because mm-hmm. uh, next episode is obviously everything is going to happen because, as far as they knew, it was going to be the end, and they're actually setting it up here. How you know they're going to get this prophecy about what happens to Buffy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess my my, yeah, I, my only problem with it is I am surprised at how easily Giles comes to trust Angel that he's really giving him the actual codex. Because I, 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 I don't, th- I mean, Giles simply hasn't spent enough time with Angel to like, and he's a vampire. So it's like, why would you just, because he just trusts him on this. There's yeah, no skepticism, no. nothing. And it's it seems a little little off. Oh, I like all the little um Phil Colsons randomly hanging out at the school. Oh yeah. Which um that's the fucking initiative. I don't care if they say that they're the FBI. One, the FBI would not have that, you know, um that would be more of a CIA thing. Right. Um and it's the fucking initiative. Oh, I just really it, thought it, it was Shield, so like whatever. That's why I said it well, was a bunch of Phil Coulson. Shield is part of the initiative, or the, the initiative is part of Shield, isn't it? Okay, I'll I'll buy it. I mean, totally different universes, but you know, I just I called them. I was like, oh, look at the little Phil Coulsons. Hey, well, there yes. there are people who believe that Phil Coulson is the son of Tommy Lee Jones' character from Men in Black. So, huh. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, that's a cute crossover. I, I headcanon accepted. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. I wish they'd know. been a little more subtle with the agents' early appearances. Yeah. Because they really yeah. are just like, here, look at them. Particularly mm-hmm. in the scene where Cordy's giving her speech in the courtyard. That like, yeah. like Buffy looks over and is like, oh, close up of the agents. And it's like, ugh. That's, yeah. Yeah. Mm. They could have done that a bit more. Yeah. yeah. So here's the other thing. Um, like, we're going to get to Prophecy Girl tomorrow. I'm sorry, soon in our next episode. Um, so, which is going to be a total myth arc kind of episode. But yes. I think something I'm really going to miss about season one is this, some of the monster of the week structure. And mm-hmm. we're going to get some of that in season two. But they're going to be different kinds of monsters or problems of the week. I really think yeah. this this first series, this first season, I think it was the writer saying, this is our favorite horror trope. Let's write it into an episode. We you don't know, get the little tags on the end. Like we, we don't get the, the little season. tags. And then we don't get the same kind of like 
oh, let's do, I mean, because they're already doing vampires, it's the name of the show, but it's like, you know, bug women and, oh gosh, what else, uh, robots and, Mm -hmm. like, evil robots. Like, they're very much this first 12, the Monster of the Week episodes are very much about, like, very common traditional horror stories sort of flipped on their head with some humor. And I think I'm going to miss that quite a bit. Um, Because the monsters and the problems get have more variety and they have more symbolism, I think, as we get. And then they sort of disappear at all. I think Gingerbread is the last real Monster of the Week episode in season three. Like, real, actual monster of the week. Yeah. So, I... I, I love the serialized nature of Buffy. It's what kept me coming back over and over. But I don't know. I, 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 I'll I miss the charmingness of some of the parts of the first season. They're kind of, yeah. So that, that was my other thing. Uh, so we have Cordelia coming to Buffy this episode to get her help. And this is the first time that we've had any indication that anybody outside of the Scooby gang has any idea what, Buffy is actually doing because Cordelia has come up to Buffy and said, you know, oh, I thought you were part of a gang. You could help me. And certainly there's probably a lot of people at the school who have started to realize uh, everything that is going to lead up to the episode, the prom where she Mm -hmm. gets the class protector award. Uh, So this is the first sign of that. And Cordelia kind of unofficially becomes part of the Scooby gang. She does, and even more so next episode, which we'll talk yes. about. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but she's still she's a like, horrible person. <laughs> yeah, but Marcy is way eviler than her. <laughs> Sorry. Marcy, Marcy is evil, but but just Cordy's reaction when Buffy tells her, oh, it's an invisible girl. Cordy's yeah. immediate reaction is, well, what can we do about it? How can, Get rid of it. She can't even say, get rid of her. It's... Yeah. So she totally depersonalizes Marcy yet again. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, good Um, point. I do love love Clea Duvall a lot as... Clea Duvall is amazing in so many different things. I mean, she's Uh, not... This is not, like, her best work ever. This is not. uh, This is actually, I think, one of her very early roles. I think it is, um... Like, I'm, I've been a huge fan of hers. I, when I saw But I'm a Cheerleader, which is a classic, oh, classic that's, comedy. Yeah, that's um, a classic I was like, movie. oh, it's Marcy, the Invisible Girl. But then from that on, I'm like, oh, it's it's Clea Duvall. She's wonderful. Yeah. And she has such nuance in her. I love her in But I'm a Cheerleader. And I also really love her in The Faculty, which I think is a totally underrated horror comedy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Clea Duvall, it's always really nice to see her. and And what she does with Marcy just in those small moments mm-hmm. of where we actually see her. It's really, it's really great. Her big old eyes say a lot of stuff. Well, I mean, she has a very difficult role because so much of what she has done in this episode has, is voice acting mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, you know, effects from the, the special effects team. Yeah. But she is able to convey this, this Marcy role very well. Mm-hmm. No, she does a very good job. And in fact, I when she, during the, the scene where she's torturing Cordelia, I think that she really, she has to do a, a very lengthy piece, all in voice. And I think she really carries right. it off well. Yeah. When Marcy um, is uh, torturing Cordelia to the pain, 
Because that's yes. totally what she was uh, doing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they don't say it that way, but I was like, okay, that's, what that's totally to the pain from Princess Bride. Yes. <laughs> and for someone whose face is supposed to be frozen, Cordelia has an awful lot of expression. Oh, yeah. Uh, by I the like way, I just me. looked it up. Um, uh, this was in uh, Claire Duvall's second year of acting. Mm. So considering um, Buffy was filmed the year before it actually aired, this was this was definitely one of her first roles. So she did well, a good on job. her. Yeah, no, I, I, I adore her. And I always welcome seeing her and things. Because um, I always think she just really brings it even the smallest stuff. Mm. Yeah. Big fan. Big fan. Yeah. She's one of those ones that because of her odd looks could actually has had a career past 30 because yeah. she can do, you know, she doesn't, she's, she's not traditionally pretty like a Cordelia. Well, I feel like she, she's very much a character actress, mm-hmm. kind of more in the way of like a Mark Shepard where yes, you know, she will yeah. turn up in things and it's like, Hey, it's that girl. Right. Absolutely. And she, I, she doesn't have to fall back on that sort of, we were talking about Mercedes McNabb, sort of that limited sort of, you have to keep up that very blonde tone, yeah. you know, the whole, the whole BS. Um, and Claire Duvall's gorgeous. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I think she's absolutely beautiful, but she's quirky beautiful. So yeah. And listeners, if you haven't seen it, I highly, highly, highly recommend. Um, but I'm a cheerleader. It's, one of the greatest comedies and it's one of the like first LGBTQ movies to really not take itself seriously in a really good way. It's sort of, it's a great mm-hmm. comedy. Absolutely. Yeah. So watch it on my recommendation. Cause I know good things written and directed by a woman, I believe. Yeah. Oh, abs- yeah. It is written and directed by a woman. It's yeah. David. If you haven't seen that one, give it a shot. All right. Uh, it has RuPaul in not drag in it. Ooh, yeah. interesting. As a man, as a man, Ru- RuPaul Charles, mm. and not RuPaul the, per- you know, the persona. Yes. So a couple of questions I have about this episode, and I, I have had many questions, but I mean they're not questions that detract from this episode because I actually think this is a very strong one. But um, I want to know how is. Marcy able to lift Cordelia up yes. the ceiling like that? Yes. I was wondering, I if, like, does no the invisibility idea. give her super strength? I'm like, yes. how is how is that possible? And and also, Buffy doesn't even try to check the room for Marcy before leaving yeah. Cordelia alone there. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, I'm kind of curious as to how Angel got the codex. Uh, yeah, they because... never explain that, do they? No, it's it's very much like there should be like a comic book or a novel explaining how the fuck Angel got this because it's another story that's just like needs to be explained. Like, did Angel have it this whole time? And it's just like, oh yeah, like here oh, yeah, I forgot. I, I took this when I was evil. Yeah. Um, did he did he kill know, vampires been, for it? Right. It's been in did storage. He, I just want to go grab it out of my storage place. It's cool. Yeah, I it's don't... one of those books I read when I'm brooding. Right, it's my broody book. I love it. Like I brood broody it. book, broody book. That's, I'm gonna remember that and say that every time he's he's reading in that damn garden. It's my with, broody book with with his night blooming jasmine. Like, it's like Shelley or Byron or some crap like that. Probably it's his yeah. broody book. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I really loved um, when uh, Buffy and Marcy were fighting with each other. The effects of Buffy listening to Marcy, how everything kind of slowed down mm-hmm. and they had the wind and everything. It was very subtle, but they kind of they portrayed this um, you know, hearing of uh, of Marcy very well. Because, I mean, that's yeah. kind of a tough thing to do. It, it, it works well because they they don't overdo it. Yeah, that's the thing. Exactly. Is like the effect is is there, and you hear it, but it's not in your face, and it doesn't yeah. go on for too long. Yeah, no, I mean they just basically do it for the one scene, and that is it's very effective in that scene. It is. Um, I mean, it also once again shows that Buffy's super smart. And hey, Angel's actually useful, other than just getting the codex. He actually saves uh, he, he, the rest of the Scooby Gang yeah, totally Day by accident. Yes. But yeah. yeah. It's the first time he's actually fucking done anything. Deus well, I guess Ex Angelia. Yay, Angel. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he does shit in Angel, but I mean, that doesn't really count because it's his fault to begin with. It is his, right. I, I mean, and, and, and you know, it goes back to the, I can do this because I don't breathe. They really needed a better explanation for vampires and breathing because it just really gets in the way. Like Especially when he time. says that in Prophecy Girl while he's and she, panting. <laughs> while he's panting. I mean, they should. that's one of those things I'm like, you know, creators, maybe you should have rethought that. Because yeah. how does Spike smoke? How does, yeah. you yeah, know, no, that, it, is it, that is one of those massive inconsistencies that does absolutely drive me insane yeah. um, in so, this series. Uh, am I right in thinking that if Buffy were a little older and had been the Slayer for a little longer, when those men in black came to take Marcy away, she would have said, you're going to make her an assassin, aren't you? Maybe. Probably. I, I just feel like if like this were maybe like season four Buffy. Oh, season four just, Buffy, like, yes. Absolutely. She would have known like right away like yep. what they were doing. And they do call this back with the kid in season seven. They call back this episode. She's talking to, oh, yes, to the, Robin Wood. And she walks up to the kid and she's like, don't yeah. turn invisible. And yeah, I actually love that genius. little subplot in that episode. Mm. That the kids are all going like super cuckoo pants because the hell mouth yeah. is just like acting it's, up. And it's before like the wholesale like liquidation of Sunnydale. Like everybody yeah. just leaves. Was um, it Storyteller? Mm, I don't know. Or was know. it the episode? It, I think it, I think it was Storyteller because it's one right in there when they're dealing yeah. with the the then seal being to, opened. Yeah, they need to settle the the Hellmouth down with, with Andrew's tears, right? <laughs> so, yeah, yes, but they do they do call it back, and which is what's yeah. great about Buffy. They do call things back, and it, the show has a long memory. Of course, comic books, if you wanted to do a storyline with Marcy, she's just right there. Oh, that would be fantastic. I love that. I, yeah. I mean, not that I read the comics, but Marcy's right there. Like, they've never done, they've never picked up that storyline. No, they haven't ever picked up. In 20 up years. Marcy. And it's like, no, come no. on, guys. No, I, well, they don't pick up a lot of stuff that happens in season one and carry yeah. it through. They make a reference to it, like they make a passing reference to this, uh, but they don't, most of the plot threads of season one i wouldn't say get dumped because again it's a lot of monster of the week and the ones that carry forward is this you know things with angel and things with the hell mouth Mm -hmm. and 
the repercussions of the hell mouth opening. They don't, it doesn't carry over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like elements carry over, but I think the general, uh, the, the feeling is, yeah, we don't talk about season one. Yeah, they were kind <laughs> in of any in any detail things. because. Well, I don't. I don't think I meant like like that, which I I totally agree with you, David. But I also think it the myth arc carries over, mm-hmm. but the mm. monster of the week stuff doesn't carry over because it's you know it's nature to not carry over very much. Um, but yeah, so the myth arc continues the overarching thing, but the lot of this stuff doesn't ever come back. Okay, uh, another little nitpick I have for this episode. If they didn't want to tell Buffy about Angel saving them, um, why'd they tell her that they got stuck in the boiler room? Because Buffy I was had wondering no that. idea that happened. I was wondering about that. Uh, why yeah. Why don't they say Angel saved them? I, I don't... Yeah. Well, I mean, I get why they didn't say that Angel saved them. It's because they're still, like, all weird about the Buffy and Angel relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and Angel was just like, I can't be around her because brood, brood, brood. Yeah. Um, uh, so they don't want to, like, tempt Buffy or something. But mm-hmm. I just want to know, it's like, why tell her half the story and then force yourself to lie? Why not yeah, just... Yeah, that's really... Yeah, you're right. That is pretty dumb. Yeah. I have another nitpick that I'm going back to the top of my notes, and it kind of comes off of David's nitpick about the Jewishness and Cordy being, like, terrible in class. And this is also just a pet peeve of mine. She uses the words Twinkie defense. Yes. The Twinkie defense. And, you know, I don't think the writers probably, I think the writers just picked that phrase up. Yeah, um, but mm. I really don't like it when people say things like, oh, it's a Twinkie defense because the Twinkie defense is what got the man that like assassinated Harvey Milk and George Moscone off. Um, mm. So that that's well, that's where the Twinkie defense comes from, is that mm. that Dan White um, used the fact that he was eating too much sugar as a as an excuse for why he uh, did some really bad stuff. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's just one of, that's always one of my pet peeves. But again, it's Cordelia's insensitivity that she even says it. I'm going to go with that. I think that that phrase was also much more in use at the time. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. I think people maybe have a little more history behind them now and say, oh, maybe let's not use that one anymore. Yeah. Um, I I think so. Yeah. But it, it is just, it's just one of my general cultural pet peeves is, the Twinkie defense. Um, it just makes my heart hurt a little Aww. bit. So, you know, um, yeah, bummer. Okay, on that down note, yeah. thanks, Andy. Well, uh, I will just throw in something which I think is happy because I love, like, little freeze frame bonuses. That at the very end of this episode, when Marcy has gone off to her little invisible assassin school i'm just going to ignore the fact that for some reason all the invisible kids can i guess see each other I enough th- that she can find, find, find a, a chair place thank you i was right. wondering about I'm like that. how does she know what chair to sit in but i really love that the text of the assassination page is the lyrics to happiness is a warm gun <laughs> by the beatles oh, oh my god oh my gosh no i, I missed that i did too it has the title line changed to "Joy is a hot revolver." 
<laughs> but yeah, no, it's all of the lyrics, and it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, and uh, I remember like this being pointed out when the show first aired. People were like, "Hey, it's happiness is a warm gun." It's it. They just changed one of the lines in it. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the first shows where you got people pointing out these little freeze frame bonuses because people were recording it uh, in a way that this is actually, I mean, like I hate to admit uh, about illegal downloads, but Buffy and Angel were probably amongst the first shows that I illegally downloaded on the internet. Oh my God. I wouldn't even know how to do that. Like, how did you even, how do you do that? The ways I did it, I mean, of course are just very like, um, obsolete now but back i mean i don't think i did it back this far uh maybe around season four i started doing it so like when angel first started i was like on like using limewire and shit like that okay that makes sense yeah no i I remember being desperate to watch graduation day part two i sent out copies of graduation day part two to people because they aired it in canada but they didn't air it anywhere else so right if i had known you then it would have i would have felt much better because yeah i didn't get to see it till it you know we'll get i mean we'll get to that history when we get to those episodes yeah no i I I had two i had two vcrs and uh like i'm i knew people from mailing lists and stuff so i sent out i think like four or five copies of graduation day part two See, yeah. this is the, it's the Canada thing. I, I, you know, this is when, when, when the first season of the new Doctor Who came out, it, it came out on DVD in Canada in region one. And I had to order it from Canada. <laughs> Canada. Heck yes. Blame Canada. Blame Canada. See, I, I always go Canada. Heck yes. Because yeah. instead of America, fuck yeah. Yeah. Because we're polite. Yeah, so I've heard. Oh, yeah, you're so polite. I really am. <laughs> oh, uh, an important milestone in this episode uh, for our Giles knockout count. Yes. Everybody gets knocked out except Giles. Oh. True. During that gas scene, Willow and Xander get knocked out, but Giles stays conscious. Okay, it's a close thing, Giles. but okay. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so I think we're at uh, final thoughts on uh, Out of Mind, Out of Sight. It's a, it's a solid little episode. I, I really do enjoy it. I think we had more nitpicking and maybe a couple tangents, but no, it's it's a really solid episode. It's yeah. not one I skip. Yeah, it's a good it's a good standalone. I mean, there, there's yeah. the Codex thing, which I guess is technically an arc issue, but yeah. but other than that, it's it's just a good episode in and of itself. I would say the Codex isn't so much arc it's foreshadowing yeah mm-hmm. uh, so okay. this is very much a standalone yeah yeah i um, i do have one one comment about the assassin school yes uh how long has that program been running because those textbooks are beaten to hell oh good quit well it had to have been after what year did the white album come out <laughs> right because so because that's that like, was what, at 67 68 68 yeah so and you know so you've got a white album joke in there so it had to be sometime after 1968 yeah well i mean like i said if it's part of the initiative we know that the initiative has been around since world war ii so ah okay okay no it's just because i saw that i like wow those it was interesting that they got the prop department to give them really tattered uh 
co- those books have really tattered covers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my opinion. It's this is a really really good filler episode. I I like this one quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It's a good one, one of the the few um, few uh, looks at Cordelia's character actually on Buffy. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, we'll get tons of it on Angel, but you know they they are very different yes. characterizations of Cordelia. Mm-hmm. So I you know definitely one I think that people should watch. And if people are rewatching the show, then they definitely don't skip this one. You know, give it a, another watch. Yeah, yeah. I would say at this point, the only one you should absolutely one hundred percent skip <sighs> is. I, I wonder. I, I can't imagine which one you're going to pick. What do you guys say? I don't know. I like. I don't know if I was real clear about it, but I think it's teacher's pet. We're still, this is still Andy's litmus test of badness of episodes. Is it better than teacher's pet? It is better than teacher's pet. We will talk more about teacher's pet versus out of mind, out of sight. Once we get to our uh, season one wrap up, which we will be doing the week after next, because next week we are reaching the end of season one and we will be reviewing Prophecy Girl. Woohoo! Yay! So, until then, grr, arg. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. I'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the podcast and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared, liked, and subscribed on social media. If you'd like your questions or comments read on the show, you can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com, on YouTube at Return to the Hellmouth, on Tumblr and Facebook at Return to the Hellmouth, on Twitter at Hellmouth Return, or on email at Return to the Hellmouth at gmail.com. We'll be sure to read your comments on the show. Be sure to rate our shows at iTunes and Stitcher. Also, check out MC's YouTube channel. See you on Tuesday for Prophecy Girl. Grr, arg.